It is that time. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today. That's really a pretty neat Father's Day message, though it wasn't necessarily intended to be so. It happens to be uh, a passage that speaks of our Father's love. And in fact, so much so, it's actually addressed to the Father of the Lord Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we pick up uh, in verse 14 here in Ephesians 3, in a study that I've entitled, uh, The Magnitude of God's Love. And so as Paul has been speaking to us throughout the first three chapters, we'll finish the third chapter today, he's been bringing to us this incredible richness that we have because of what we've been given by grace and through faith in our lives as he saved us and brought us into the right relationship. The thing that now becomes central that we focus in on as we finish up this first portion, which is the doctrinal portion, we'll go on to the applicational portion in chapter 4, as we begin to apply these things, it doesn't do us any good to know doctrine unless we're going to turn it into something that we can use, amen? So we can have great doctrine, but we also need to then apply that doctrine to our lives. And so as we apply it, Paul leaves us here in chapter 3 with a very strong message about God's love. And there are times when we question God's love, just like in our family. Sometimes, you know, if you're growing up, our, our, our dads sometimes have to do things that they don't like to do and we don't want to receive. Amen? You get in trouble, you know, you go through some thing in your life to where dad's got to instruct you. Sometimes that instruction can be a little bit painful. Sometimes that instruction can be something that we don't necessarily want. You know, that restriction that you're put on. Maybe it's something that you have to forfeit for a time. Now, if you want to mess with kids, the first thing that you do is take away their cell phone, right? That is the mother of all punishments. Remove the ability to go on Facebook. It's like horror of horrors has happened. And sometimes, well, man, Dad, you don't love me. You know, you're going to take away these things from me. Sometimes God works that way. He removes things from our lives. He takes things out of our life. If he really loves us, matter of fact, the author of Hebrews said, if he doesn't chasten you, he doesn't love you. You're an illegitimate child because God has to work sometimes in our, in our lives in a way uh, that seems a little out of character. But God's character and God's nature is always love. No matter what he allows in our world, no matter what he allows in our lives, God is incapable of being anything other than loving. He has no capacity to be unloving. When he hates sin, he is still loving when he hates sin. When he deals with us as disobedient children, he still loves us even though he may chasten us. When he allows things into our lives, even if they're difficult things, he has not ceased loving us even though something difficult has come to us. It's hard for us at times Connie and I traveled to Israel in, in 2013 when we were there, and we're going to travel there uh, next year when we all go as a family. We traveled to Yad Vashem. It's the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Having, having been to the Holocaust Museum here in Washington, D.C., I can tell you there's no comparison between the two places. And there is an exhibit about halfway through as you're, as you're going through these corridors where you walk on a glass floor and underneath that glass floor are the shoes of approximately 50,000 victims of Nazi horror. 
it is very hard when viewing that to imagine God somehow communicating into our world some kind of love. It's nearly impossible. The two things are so contradictory that we might be tempted to say, well, maybe God just stopped being loving. Maybe he took his loving hands off of our world for a moment. Maybe he turned his back. God is incapable. He's incapable of being unloving. He can't do it. Even in those times when we don't understand, when we don't get that picture of who he is at that moment. And it begins this way in verse 14. We'll finish chapter 3. And it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to his riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and notices and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, that you might be able to comprehend with all of the saints that which is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come on on this day that we call Father's Day. And we're so grateful that we can call you Abba that we can call you dad. Lord, that you love us. You love to sit down with us. You love to speak to us. You love to touch us as your children. Lord, you like to put your hand upon us and guide us and direct us, speak truth into our lives and love into our lives. And so, Father, we pray that in these moments that we have remaining, God, that you would speak to us through the power of your word. Lord, that you would strengthen us to receive it. God, that you would cause us to know what is your good pleasure, your plans, your purposes for us as your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul begins to close this chapter and to close the thought process of how rich we are in Christ with us bearing confidence on how much he loves us. And there are times in our lives, I'm supposing that probably everyone in here, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, there have been times in your life where maybe you've actually questioned whether God specifically loves you. He's allowed things into your life that you don't understand, that you don't want. Paul is in that place. Remember where he is. He's in prison. He's under house arrest. He's in Rome. And he is specifically in prison because he's been doing what God called him to do. Those are hard things to understand. They're hard things for us to lay hold of. But God, you told me to speak that truth, and, and I'm going to get in trouble for it? Sometimes we're, we're tempting to, tempted to believe that maybe God isn't for us at that moment. Maybe somehow we fell out of favor with him. 
And yet we find in these words just this incredible comfort. And so Paul begins by praying as we should pray for our circumstances. He says, for this reason, that's why I'm praying these things. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the reason being, I know this is for my good. I know this is for the kingdom. I know these things are somehow, as Romans 8.28 actually declares very plainly, somehow these things are going to work out for the good because I love God and I've been called according to His purpose. I don't understand it today. I don't like it today. I'm not really in love with this house arrest thing. I don't like being in prison, but God loves me. And so this becomes the proving ground. Life is the proving ground of God's love. Sometimes we forget that. God allows us to go through things so that he can point to you when the world says, what does God's love look like? It looks like what's happened in my life. That God would use me. God would use you. God would take those things in your life that you don't understand and don't want. And all of a sudden, there it is. His love is visible in you. His love is visible in me. You know, sometimes we just simply revert instead of from, we don't go to prayer, we go to worry, don't we? Anybody else in here a habitual worrier? I, I worry about things at times. I, I'd like to say I never do, but I do. I think about things in a negative way. I'll ponder the circumstances and all the options. Isn't it the most ridiculous thing in the world to think that God is God and we're here worrying, trying to worry for Him? Well, Lord, did you know this? Of course God knows what's going on in your life. And yet we have a tendency to worry. We have a tendency to overthink things at times. And instead of making our first action prayer, it's our last action, isn't it? God's at work in our lives, and instead of us praying first and saying, God, would you work out these details in my life? After we've worried for like three or four days, after we've fretted, after we've had sleepless nights, then we actually go to God and say, God, do you love me? Could you please work this out? And all the time he's been waiting, Jeff, I love you. I have the very best in the entire universe planned for you. Why don't you ask me what that is? And so Paul begins to pray this incredible prayer. And the first thing that he does is he begins to pray by asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is now going to just open up this floodgate of prayer. And it's a very short prayer, but a very powerful prayer. You you see, he was named, we are named, all of us draw our name from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're all Christians. It actually literally means little Christ's. Doesn't mean you are the Messiah. Doesn't mean you are the King of Kings. It means that you're named after. We're all named for Him. And if we're named for Him, if we're named in Him, if you will, then we're named in a way that identifies with Him. And He is love. 1 John chapter 4 is very clear. God is actually love. If you want to try and identify Him in one way, above all other ways, the easiest thing for you to do is God is love. Whatever he does, he's motivated by the one thing. He's motivated by love. And so Paul, much like he would write to the church at Philippi, there in Philippians chapter 2, if you remember what he said there, one day, even the demons are going to bow to the name of Jesus. Amen? They're all going to know. Everybody will know at some point in time who the Lord is. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You, You see... 
the work of the Spirit in our lives helps us understand these things. And so he begins by praying in and for the work of the Spirit in his life. That he might grant you, verse 16 says, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Notice it doesn't say he takes away everything negative in your life. Notice it doesn't say that you're going to go through your entire life without ever experiencing something that you're not going to like. It says that he's going to strengthen us to understand who he is in our inner man by the work of the Holy Spirit. And these verses that follow are are some of the most beloved verses in the entire Bible. They're verses that are familiar to each one of us for the most part. And so he says, look, I want to strengthen you with these things. That's the opposite of being discouraged, by the way. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the Bible, I just get so discouraged when I read the Bible. And I'll usually ask them why. And say, well, you know, it doesn't seem like it applies to me. That's because it's believed by faith. It's not some checklist. You go, okay, I got the work of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, and I have a prayer life, and I read the Word, and you mark off all the boxes, and all of a sudden you're doing great and fine. Your life is a test. It's a proving ground. There are things that are working in you, and so the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you, the Holy Spirit is imparted in you, and the Holy Spirit can be filling you and flowing out of you. It's a work of the Spirit for us to understand the love of God. And sometimes we just kind of look at it the way the world looks at things. You know, well, I get a badge, or I get a patch, or I go to some class, or I have a diploma, or some type of certificate. Well, I now am filled with the Spirit. You have to pray to be filled with the Spirit. And it strengthens you inside so you can bear up to what's going on outside. That's how we fight that fight. God's not going to simply just deliver us from everything that comes our way. And so the Holy Spirit works in a bunch of different ways, aiding us in prayer. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, amen? I don't know about you, there are times when people give me some things going on in their life and I really legitimately do not know how to pray for them. It's like, Lord, do I pray that you would remove that? Lord, is it something that, you know, maybe they need more of it? I don't know. And so just as Paul said, look, sometimes I just groan in the Spirit. Like, Lord, you know, so take care of it. The Holy Spirit, in fact, inspires us as we're worshiping the Lord. That's a work of the Spirit. That's not a work of the flesh. It's not just musicianship and voices. That's us agreeing with the Spirit of God that God is holy. That God is who He says He is. And because of that, we worship. He's worthy of our worship. One of those things that we don't like sometimes, the Holy Spirit shapes our character, amen? We call that the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Knowing this, that whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So we have to sow to the Spirit. We have to allow the Spirit of God to work in us. We have to pray for that. So that the love of God working in our lives, empowered by the Spirit of God, can then flow out of our lives. Spirit unites us as as a community, brings us together in ways that are actually impossible apart from the work of the Spirit. If you look at this congregation, this is a work of God. This is not a work of the flesh. This is something that the Lord did. He brought us all together in this one place. He's brought us here today to speak to us through this passage of Scripture. 
And so that spirit working in me, working in you, working in each of us, the worship team, the Sunday school teachers, the Holy Spirit working here in this church accomplishes these things for the benefit of all of us. That's why when you look at the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are not uniformly distributed. Everyone gets everything. Paul would write, as he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all the way through 14, he says, look, I distribute to people gifts. I give them gifts so that they can be used for me. And I don't give everybody the same gift. So he says, look, take and pray for the work of the Spirit because I want to come and I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. Notice what it says, moving on to verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love. We all know the passage. Most of us can quote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 begins in a way that, oh, that's what it's talking about. You mean it's not talking about marriage? No. It actually isn't. We can apply it to marriage for sure. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am as a sounding brass. Goes on to say, if I had faith sufficient to remove mountains, but have not love. You see, the Lord wants us to abide in love. He wants us to grow in love. He wants us to be loving. Because He's dwelling in us and He is love. We need to represent who lives with us and in us. Who is that that's living? Is Christ in you? Because if Christ is in us, if Christ is in the church, then the one defining thing will be the magnitude of his love that flows out of us. That's the one thing that we have to offer to the whole world. And it's the one thing they frankly don't understand, generally speaking, because they're very confused about what love is. And so notice what he says. That you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints. That's all the saints, past, present, and future. All the saints. What is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of that love? The love of Christ. How deep is that love? The Greek word that's translated here to dwell means to settle down, to be in. In other words, is that love dwelling in you so richly that it flows out of you? It becomes part of your identity. It's really interesting when you meet parents, having spent so much time around kids, when you meet parents, you can go, oh, that's why he's like that. (laughs) That's why she dresses like that. You get it both ways, good and bad. Because children imitate and emulate their parents. Amen? So if Christ is in us, then Christ should come out of us. If he's dwelling in us, then what should happen is we should look like he's in our house all the time. Whenever you have family come over, you notice how you do that one cleanup right before they get there? And you clean the places you never clean when other people are there. That's because you're trying to impress them. 
How about we impress the world with how much love is in us? You see, he goes on to say, look, we'll never know, but I want you to be rooted, I want you to be grounded, I want you to be stable in this one thing, I want you to be in love, so that when people see you, it's really this action that happened in the past, but it has present results. So filled with love, overflowed with love, just emulating the Lord Jesus and everything, that when people meet you, they just meet a big bucket of love. Amen? And so he says, how, how wide is that love? In other words, how experiential is that love? How, how long is that love? You know, because we can all have wide love for a short period of time, right? We can kind of put on that, well, I'm just going to be loving for 40 seconds. But God is love for eternity. You're beginning, you're in. He was love at the start. He'll be love at the end. He'll be love from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and He is love in being Alpha and being Omega. Your love is also high. It's easy to love and to love God and to be loving when you're up here in the heights of heaven. Amen? People are are strange around April 15th. They're either in the depths of Hades, because they've just written a big check, or they're getting a big refund. It's easy to have love when you're getting a big refund, amen? Not so easy when you've got to write the check. And he's basically saying here, look, whether you're elated in joy or whether you're deep in sorrow, love is the thing that should define you as a Christian. People say, well, it's, you know, it's the directions of the cross. It's all, it can be any of those things. The four dimensions of the heavenly city. We can make all kinds of analogies about this. But it's really saying, no matter how far your experience goes, no matter how long it lasts, no matter whether it's joyous or whether it's in sorrow, we're to be bathed in the love of the Lord. And the world will know that and know Him when they see that in us. It reaches low enough to touch the most wretched sinner, and reconcile them to a holy God. Have you ever thought about God's love that way? That's how low it can go. It pulled you out of the miry clay. It did the same thing for me. Christ's love is big enough for the divorced person. Christ still loves us. It's more than big enough and bright enough for the best of us or for the, the least intelligent among us. God doesn't love smart people more than He loves the intellectually challenged person. You know, so, well, you know, loves them more because he's more valuable. God doesn't work that way. God uniformly loves with height and breadth and depth everybody. All the time and in all ways. Even the lost he loves that way. He loves the person who has been sexually abused he even loves the abuser as hard as that is for us to understand he loves the woman who's been through an abortion and he loves the man who put her in that place in the first place God is love we need to see him that way because he's dwelling with us he loves people who are addicted to alcohol and drugs and all manner of things. And so he goes on in verse 19 to remind us of this central fact. It's love beyond our imagination. 
No matter what you can think about God's love, it's greater than whatever you can think, and yet you're supposed to still think about how great His love is. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Think about it for a second. It's actually, what he's saying is, it's beyond your knowing. But you need to attempt. You need to try. You need to put some effort into understanding the love of God. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, sometimes when we can't know something, we just give up, right? Isn't that how humankind usually works? That's why people start things and don't finish them. Well, I'm not really any good at that, so we just quit. Don't quit with God's love. God loves us. It's unfathomable. You you can't rationally explain it. You're not going to sit there and go, well, here's how you define God's love. If you can define it, then it's not unknowable, amen? But we still need to be reaching out. God, I want to know better today how much you love me. D.L. Moody said it this way. He says, I know of no other truth in the Bible that ought to come home to us with such power and tenderness as that God loves us. God loves us. We're supposed to be filled with that. And he says, if you know the love of God, then you're filled with the fullness of God. Do you realize what that's saying? If you understand the love of God as best as you can, then that fills you with the fullness of God because He is love. And so it comes to a question for us, well, how much love is that? Decides he's going to tell us. Verse 20. What an amazing verse. So I don't know about you, I can think kind of big and I can dream fairly large. I have some thoughts that are up there. It's like they're kind of weird at times, but I can think some fairly lofty things about lots of stuff. I actually ponder the depths of the universe. Weird things like that. It's like, how far out there is that? That's basically what he's saying. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So no matter what question you come up with, or no matter how far you can think through it, according to the power that works within us, that power is God's love that's working in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. No matter what you can think about it, no matter what you can ask about it, there is more available to you exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. It's not limited, in other words, to your own understanding. It's not limited to your own asking. God's love is greater than all of that. And so he gives us these superlatives that we can think of. You see, exceedingly abundantly above would be like if you go to the bank and you're going to make a withdrawal and you know that you have Let's just round it off. We'll say you have $10,000 in your account. You have enough guts to go say, well, I'd like 100000 It's exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can even think is in there. Do not do that, by the way. I don't want anybody getting in trouble with your bank. But the point is this. You already know what you think you have, Right? Now imagine that you go stick your ATM card, you just keep punching buttons. Because you believe that there's something God wants to do in your life. God does that. God gives you exceedingly and abundantly, in other words, exceed your abundant expectations of the amount of love that he wants to put into your life. 
He also does it because he is able because of his own power, not because of yours. Amen? I run out of, we call it here the, the love quotient. I run out of the love quotient every once in a while. My love quotient gets burnt up. Sometimes you just, especially as a pastor, and it happens to all of us, but as a pastor, there are just times when it's just like, you know, I've already talked to that person 45 times about this one thing. I've shared with them the word. I've given them counsel. And they're still doing the same dumb thing over and over. And here they come. And your love quotient dries up. And you want to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Go and sin no more. Some verses just come to you. But they're not necessarily loving, are they? And God's saying, well, just a little more. But Lord, I'm out of love. No, he has exceedingly and abundantly beyond because it's his power and not yours. See, my power ended the third time. I was on God's power all the way to the 45th time. Now I'm really needing God's power. That's the way he works. He can give you more to infinity. And then he says, because it's exceeding, because of his abundance of power. You're not going to have to worry about God's power running out, not his love running out. It's not going to happen. So how much power is it? It's more than you can imagine. It's more than I can imagine. It's more than you'll ever need. And so he ends this amazing passage with a simple doxology. And doxology is basically just a praise for the, for the glory of God. Because he alone is worthy of that praise. He alone is worthy of that glory. And to him be the glory in the church. Notice where it is. In the church. God's church experiencing the exceeding and abundant power, more than we can ask or think, brings glory to God. Because we begin to live that way. To Him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. You you see what happens when the church starts to live out this type of love. When the church expects God to do amazing, mighty, wonderful, God-honoring, Christ-glorifying things. When we give the Lord our whole being, and say, God, I just want to be loving today. And I want to be so filled with love that the whole world knows exactly who you are. He gets the glory for that. Because that's not who you naturally are. That's not who I naturally am. We all have good characteristics. We all have bad characteristics. We all have abilities that are things that we can do. And we all have inabilities, things we can't do. Amen? So if it was dependent on you or me in our own selves, in our own flesh, that's why it's to Him be the glory, because He's doing something you can't do. And I can't do. That power that works within us. And that is the magnitude of His love. And so He rounds out this doctrinal part. We'll pick up the applicational part, which is the fun part, really. Because now we get to, okay, how does that work in a marriage? How does that work as a parent? How does that work in the workplace? How does that work when when I take these things home? It works exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. That's how it works. And we're going to see all those things applied as we move forward with the remainder of this amazing book. Amen? Let's pray.
Father God, we are absolutely just stunned by the magnitude of your love, that, that you never run out of it. We do, Lord, at times, but we only have not because we ask not. Lord, you have plenty. And Lord, we pray that you'd keep us focused on the things that really matter in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would work in us to accomplish your good pleasure. And, and God, as we ask for you to fill us with the Spirit, Lord, as we come to you and we simply say we're empty and we need more, Lord, we know that you won't turn us away, that you, del- you delight to give good gifts to your children. And so, God, we bless you. And we thank you for your love for us, Lord, that you, as our Heavenly Father, love us with an undying and an eternal love. Hard for us to imagine, but we do receive that blessing by faith. Lord, thank you for the magnitude of your love. We bless you, we praise you, and we give it to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. You need prayer? Got prayer warriors in the prayer room? Have an amazing Father's Day afternoon. Hope that your plans include something wonderful that you can share the love of the Lord with your family. Amen?